Well, as I get started here this morning, I got something a little different for you. Um, I think you're going to, some of you may know some of what I'm going to say, and some of you may be something bad. Uh, and uh, we're going to look at a code that is in the Psalm 12 Days of Christmas. It's also going to relate to the, the theme this morning as throughout the joy panel and keeping the theme of joy. And you may or may not know this, you, you ought to know this, but did you know that joy is not an option? We're required to have joy. Christians are required, we're commanded to have joy throughout Scripture. And one of the things that can bring us that joy is to know God's Word and understand it. And so I'm going to show you something from the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. In that song lies a code, uh, which I'm going to share in a moment. And it should be reminders of some of the things that ought to give us joy. So first of all, uh, you may hear the song, Twelve Days of Christmas. What are they even talking about? Are they talking about the weeks of school break, or what does that mean? And so I want to explain that a little bit. Throughout history, uh, for a long period of time, there was a 12-day celebration. Now, we're talking about primarily Catholic background things here, um, but Christmas tide was December 25th, um, and that would be the actual beginning of a 12-day celebration. Now, we, you still hear, you don't hear the word Christmas tide all that often unless you read some old Dickens or something, but uh, you might see the word Yuletide, which is taken from that as well. So it's, it's basically the beginning of that 12-day celebration. And, and in different traditions around the world and throughout history, those 12 days have been either feast days or days of giving presents or an overall celebration of some important reminders of the teachings and traditions of the Catholic Church. So, for example, some of those days had individual something significant that was about that. December 25th, Christmas Tide, was the celebration of what we still call Christmas. It was honored the birth of Christ. And then December 26th, the day after, celebrated Stephen, who was the first martyr of Christianity in the in the book of Acts, so play with chapter it. 7 or 8, where Stephen gets stoned. And uh, additionally, the British celebrate Boxing Day on December 25th, and they typically visit people who they did not see on Christmas Day. Um, and that origin actually comes from the day after Christmas, when servants and tradesmen were allowed to return to their families. Because why? On December 25th, they had spent their day serving their masters, waiting on their masters. And so that was Boxing Day, was the day that a lot of the commoner type people had got to celebrate Christmas. December 27th was the feast day of St. John the Apostle. December 28th was the feast day of the Holy Innocents, and that, that was a Catholic Church tradition that honors and remembers the infants that King Herod killed as the soldiers were searching for the baby Jesus to kill. December 29th, remember St. Thomas Becket, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury and was martyred on December 29th in the year 1170, because he disagreed with the king about how much authority he had over the church to 
December 30th was the feast day of St. Edwin of Worcester. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> uh, December 31st was honoring St. Sylvester, who was one of the earliest popes. January 1st celebrated Mary, specifically honoring her motherhood. January 2nd was the feast day of St. Basil the Great and St. Gregory. Uh, and January 3rd honors the feast of the holy name of Jesus. Uh, and that would have been the day that Jesus was named in the Jewish temple, given his official name uh, according to Jewish tradition. And January 5th was Epiphany Eve, the night before the wise men came to visit Jesus. Now we know that those events didn't all happen right at the time of the, at the same time, but they were celebrated that way as a remembrance. So what about this song, the 12 Days of Christmas? Well, from the year 1558 until the year 1829, Roman Catholics were not allowed to practice their faith in England. There were even periods of time where if you were found out, you could be drawn, hung, and quartered. I'm not going to tell you what that means. If you know, you know. If you don't, you can look that up on your own. It's not a nice thing, okay? Um, and in fact, there were times in England's history where they actually did that to children who were known to be celebrating their faith or, 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 doing, or, or doing anything uh, to do with the Catholic Church. So things had to go underground in order to help children and adults remember some key components of the teachings of the church. The song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, was written. It was originally written as just a poem later put to music. But each part of the song, uh, if it was sung in the presence of people outside the church, didn't really have all that much meaning. You know, you hear the song and you maybe imagine this young, lovesick guy who's sending extravagant presents to his intended or something like that. But to those who were in the know, those inside the church, inside that song there was a reminder of the secret teachings they had learned. And whenever they heard the song, they would be reminded of these teachings of the faith. And, as a little gift to you, I've got a list of them that you'll get to take home with you. I'm not adding them on now because I know better. <laughs> but I'm going to go through these so you can learn maybe a little bit about it. So this is the 12 days of Christmas. The first thing we get is what? A partridge in a pear tree. Uh, before I get to that, I want to talk about who was the my, my true love. The true love was Jesus. Right? The partridge in the pear tree was also Jesus. How could your true love, love give a gift to himself? Well, Jesus, the Son of God, uh, was the true love, and he also gave himself. Now, uh, the reason they said a partridge was, at that time, they believed the partridge was the only bird that the mother would actually sacrifice herself to save her babies that were in the nest. And so she would draw prey away and even take death herself to protect the young so they could make it out of the nest. The pear tree reminds us of the cross where Jesus died to save those who believe in him. The next thing was two turtle doves. This represented the Old and New Testaments, which contained the, the complete story of God's redemptive plan. So those are the first and second, or the Old and New Testaments. Uh, three French hens. Three French hens. Uh, that was faith, hope, and love. So 1 Corinthians 13, 13. 
So now faith, hope, and love abide. We learned about abiding this morning from our Sunday school class. Good class, by the way, don't grab my book. <laughs> so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. So that's the three branchlands. Four calling birds. Their names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels that call us to faith in Jesus Christ. Five golden rings. That was the five books, the first five books of the Bible. The Jewish people call that the Tanakh or the Torah, or the Pentateuch, you might have heard that called that. Penta meaning five, the first five books of the Bible. And that is the foundation on which the rest of Scripture is built. Six geese a lay. Talked about this in Sunday school this morning, but Mark didn't know. I almost said it, but I would have given away part of this. So, six geese of laying uh, eggs throughout history have often represented new life or creation. So, the six geese are a reminder that God created the earth. And how many days? Six days. Six geese of laying. God completed his work in six days. Seven swans of swimming. That represented the spiritual gifts listed in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and acts of mercy, or you could say compassion. Eight, maids and milking. This was a reminder that Jesus came for humble people. Maids, milk maids was one of the lowliest uh, jobs, demeaning jobs, supposedly, to the people of that time. So this was a reminder that Jesus came for humble people. And these are actually representing the, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So those eight maids and elkies represent those. Then we have the nine ladies dancing. This is the fruit of the spirit. Blade's favorite song. Anyone want to say the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine ladies dancing. Okay. Ten lords of leaping. Lords were supposed to be protectors. And the Ten Commandments protect us, and God gave them to us as an Eleven pipers piping were the eleven disciples. Now, why not twelve? Well, that's to remind us that there were eleven who remained faithful, and they spread the gospel. So, eleven pipers piping are the, the twelve minus one disciples. Finally, twelve drummers drumming was twelve statements of belief from the Apostles' Creed. And I don't, I might have on the screen. They, they are, I've summarized them here. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. We believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. We believe Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. We believe Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. We believe that Jesus ascended from heaven into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. We believe that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe the church is universal. We believe in the communion of the saints. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. And we believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting.
Christ. So you can imagine that as not only kids, but new converts were taught these, what we would call maybe a catechism, uh, some of the statements of belief, as a reminder of this poem first, and then it became a song of 12 Days of Christmas. So those are the gifts that we receive from God, and many more. In light of these gifts, we ought to have joy. It should be our natural state of being to be full of the joy of the Lord. Joy transcends the difficulties and the pains we go through because the joy of the Lord is rooted in an understanding of his gifts towards us. In fact, Scripture's most repeated command involves having joy. It's not always written the same way. Sometimes it says rejoice. Sometimes it says be of good cheer. Sometimes it uses other phrases that we can understand and have the same meaning that we're to have joy and it is the most repeated command in Scripture. Now that doesn't mean necessarily it's the most important command. Jesus said what is the most important command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and your yourself. But have joy is the most repeated command. It doesn't mean it's the most important, but obviously it's been repeated because we need help in that command. So that ought to tell us something, that over and over in Scripture we see this. And I'm going to give you some examples of that in a bit. Now, Mark often says when he starts the music and after the first songs, he must be noticing something, and he'll stand up and he'll say, uh, hey, remind your face to reflect that joy. Or so I don't want to steal his words. I can't remember the exact words, but it's so true. Sadly, some people, even people who boldly proclaim their faith, they declare their faith with confidence, but they can be completely lacking in joy. And how sad that is. I've seen people who claim to belong to Christ. They claim to read their Bibles. They claim they're regularly in prayer, and yet they seem to be the unhappiest. You could even say the grumpiest people that you've ever seen. But the mark of one who has secured their salvation in Christ through faith in his teachings and the teachings of Scripture, they should be so full of joy that it affects everyone around them. And unfortunately, so many people who claim they're in Christ, they seem to have no joy. Rather than others wanting to be around them because the joy overflows, the opposite can be true. So when Mark looks out at the congregation and sees a lack of joy and he makes a comment on it, he wants you to enjoy God. I think that's what he means, right? So he reminds you, let your face show how happy you should be to be here. Now as a pastor, I could try to talk you into having joy. I could plead with you, please be quiet. I could exhort you to let your joy overflow so that others may rejoice, not only in your good works, but in the joy of the Lord that's present whenever you are present. But Mark and I can't talk you into that. Nor should we need to do that. Because really, you aren't here to please Mark or me. But if you are in Christ, as most people in here profess to be, and if you love Christ, which most of you say you do, then if your very demeanor should be a demeanor of joy, not only when things are well in your life in general, but because it's well with us. If you love Jesus, he says, you will keep his commands. 
And as I've already stated, the most repeated command throughout Scripture is have joy. So don't have joy because Mark asked you to smile. Don't have joy because your pastor says, hey, people will be more likely to want to be at church if you're joyful. But have joy instead because it's what you're commanded to do by Scripture. Now, here's some of the passage. I'll go through these. Uh, they're mostly one line or two lines each, but there's uh, quite a few verses. And this is just tip, the tip of the iceberg. Psalm 149.2 Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Psalm 14.7 Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Psalm 97.12 Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 102, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 67, 4 and 5, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Psalm 96, 11, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. And we're called to rejoice even when we're mistreated for our faith. Remember the aid maids of Melchie, right? It was the Beatitudes. Here's one of them. Matthew 11 and 12. Or Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Luke 6, 22 and 23. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did the prophets. Luke 10.20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Mark said, one of the easiest verses to memorize for some people, rejoice, always. You know, they say the shortest verse in Scripture, Jesus wept. Well, this has got to be a runner-up. It's important, too. Rejoice always. Philippians 3, 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing for you is no trouble to me. And is safe for you. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 1 Peter 1, 8, 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. We're even to rejoice in trials, James 1, 2 to 4. Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just some of the many examples in Scripture where we're commanded to be joyful. We're commanded to rejoice always. And why should we rejoice? Well, especially this time of year when we're reminded of the goodness of God displayed in the living sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who was given to us Emmanuel. God with us. It was the fulfillment of prophecy, and for that we rejoice. Where is that prophecy? Isaiah 7, 14 and 15, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Isaiah 9, 6-7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government there shall be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Why should we rejoice? Because we realize with Mary that the Lord has looked on those of humble estate. I won't read this whole one because it was actually Scott's reading earlier. But she said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Thy spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why? He's looked on the humble estate of his servant. And she goes on from there. God meditated all the world before him. Why should we rejoice? As a response. One of the reasons we should rejoice is as a response. We are responding to the many, many gifts. I went through that song, the 12 days of Christmas, that's just some of the ones that are most important to remember, but God gives us so many gifts. And so out of a response to that, we rejoice. Why else do we rejoice? In obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commands. And throughout all of Scripture are his commands. And included in there is command to have joy. In fact, uh, there's a great book, John Piper, I read it years ago. It's called The Dangerous Duty of the Wife. He wrote a whole book on joy and all the scripture that speaks to the idea that we're supposed to command joy. And why should we rejoice finally? Because the Lord desires us to be joyful. He wants us to be joyful. Not just that He commands it, He desires it because it's for our good. He loves us. Now, the next thing is, how should you respond to this message of joy? Well, first of all, you need to respond personally, between you and the Lord. If you have not been living in joy, ask for his forgiveness for your lack of joy. And then read his books, and be reminded his book, and remind yourself of the gifts he's given you, and respond to joy. And finally, ask him to empower you in order to have joy. Because sometimes we need his help to have our joy, don't we? 
not something he asks us to do and then leaves us to do it by sheer willpower. He will help us to have joy. So respond personally first between you and the Lord, and then practice joy in your interactions with others. No one should ever leave the presence of a Christian without having perceived the rejoicing and hope that we should all have. No one should ever leave the presence of a Christian feeling less joyous than they were before they came to Christ. Your very presence in the lives of others should be a source of joy to them because of the joy that's in you. And so that's your response. <coughs> Ask yourself how you're doing. Ask the Lord how you're doing with your joy. Deal with it with him first and then see how he can help you project that joy so that when others leave you, they go away with the same joy. That's what it's really about for that person. I'm so glad I encountered that's the kind of joy that we need. Let's pray, Lord. Thank you for the joy that we get. I pray, Lord, that as you've reminded us this morning in your word, I got it, I got it. that you didn't leave us an option. You commanded us to have joy. But you've also given us many reasons to we're joyful in hope, we're joyful in gratitude, and we're joyful, Lord, out of obedience to you. Help us to do it, Lord, by the power and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit in our lives, I pray. And help us to be known for our joy of all the people that you bless us to be in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, did you stand with us at the moment?